Hear now a reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. I invite you to note any word, phrase, or image that speaks to your heart. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, so hear the word of the Lord. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, today is Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week, named for the leafy branches that people cut in the fields and placed on the road in front of Jesus during his entry into Jerusalem shortly before he was arrested. Christians often refer to this scene as the triumphal entry because as Jesus makes his way into the city, people lay their cloaks on the ground in front of him and shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. What we usually don't think about is the colt that Jesus rode into town, described in Matthew as the foal of a donkey, and in John as a donkey's colt. But there is much that we can learn by paying attention to the donkey in the story. This may come as a surprise because donkeys have a bad reputation as being stupid, stubborn, and lowly. But anyone who knows anything about donkeys tells us that this description is unfair and inaccurate. In fact, if we study history, we see that donkeys played an important role in the progress of human civilization. For example, archaeologist Fiona Marshall says that donkeys are extremely intelligent, that entire trade routes were built on their labor, and that the wealth of ancient Egypt depended upon them. Furthermore, in the Tang Dynasty, high-class women played a game like polo in which players rode donkeys instead of horses. When one particular noblewoman died, she had donkeys sacrificed and buried with her 
so that she could continue to ride them in the afterlife. We know that Jesus also had a favorable opinion of donkeys because when he made his preparations to enter Jerusalem, he specifically asked for one. As we read this morning in the Gospel of Mark, he sent two of his disciples ahead of him saying, go into the village ahead of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. Jesus was taking his chances with an unbroken colt, maybe because he knew that the animal was intelligent, not stupid. Predicting that the two disciples would encounter resistance, he said to them, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Tell them the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. Jesus realized that he would have to get people talking if he was going to gather a crowd on the road to Jerusalem. So he had his followers spread the word that the Lord needed a donkey and he would return it right away. Jesus was building a buzz among the people of the village, creating a little controversy and injecting some suspense. Sure enough, the disciples went into the village and found a colt in the street, just as Jesus predicted. And as they were untying it, people confronted them, again, just as Jesus said they would. When they told them what Jesus had said, the people allowed the disciples to take it. And as they did, the donkey proved to be cooperative, not stubborn. The disciples brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. Jesus sat on it and began to ride it toward Jerusalem. He knew that the prophet Zechariah had predicted that the coming ruler of God's people would arrive in Jerusalem on a donkey. As it is written, lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In ancient times, leaders would ride donkeys in civil processions and horses in military ones. So a king arriving on a donkey would indicate that he was arriving in peace. Jesus remembered that Solomon had been riding a donkey when he was recognized as the new king of Israel. In all of this, we see that the donkey was not lowly, but noble. We call this Palm Sunday because, as we read in the Gospel, the people spread branches, presumably palm branches, on the road as Jesus entered Jerusalem. But how do these branches compare to the intelligent, cooperative, and noble animal that Jesus rode into the city? Maybe instead of Palm Sunday, we should call today Donkey Sunday. <laughs> well, nevertheless, as the people laid branches in front of Jesus, the people who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. In this way, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah by entering Jerusalem 
as the ruler of God's people, humble and riding on a donkey. And after riding the animal to the temple, he went out to Bethany with his disciples. Along the way, he probably took the time to return the colt to its owner. It's important to remember that Jesus made a conscious decision to ride a donkey, not a horse. Author Christopher McDougall says that while horses are speedy, when it comes to steadiness, stamina, and heroic resistance to heat, cold, and thirst, you can't do better than a burrow, which is why people throughout history, including prophets, Mary, Jesus, King Solomon, even Muhammad and Queen Victoria, have made donkeys their favorite form of transportation. Even George Washington, who was described by Thomas Jefferson as the greatest horseman of his age, was actually a donkey guy. <laughs> when King George of Spain gave a pair of burros to Washington, he turned them into America's only breeding herd. Burrow, in case you were wondering, is the Spanish word for donkey. McDougall says that he became a fan of the animals when he entered a donkey named Sherman in a burrow race in Leadville, Colorado. You heard me right, a donkey race. <laughs> this competition goes back to the days when miners would race one another over the trails with their donkeys at their sides. In burrow races, the competitors don't get on top of their donkeys as Jesus did. Instead, they run alongside them, sometimes for 23 miles over peaks as high as 13,500 feet. If you win the race, you get 500 bucks. For McDougall, Sherman turned out to be an inspirational animal, a donkey with the heart of a hero. So what does all of this teach us about being a disciple of Jesus? Well, part of our job is to find ways to carry Jesus to people in the world who need to hear good news. And if this is our challenge, then we can actually learn a lot about carrying Jesus to the world from the donkey in our story. How to carry Jesus forward in the decisions we make and in the actions that we take. Like donkeys, we make our decisions with God-given intelligence. Francis Collins, who is the director of the National Institutes of Health, is a widely respected physician and geneticist. He led the Human Genome Project and has been very involved in trying to contain the coronavirus pandemic. Collins is also a deeply committed Christian who has worked hard to find harmony between science and biblical faith. A journalist recently asked him about what he hoped Christians would understand about science. He answered, think of science as a gift from the Creator. The curiosity that we have been given with uh, the ability to understand how the universe works can inspire even greater awe of the Creator. This gift could hardly be a threat to God, the author of it all. Celebrate what science can teach us. Think of science as a form of worship. Collins believes that we should all make our decisions with God-given curiosity 
and intelligence. We should also do our best to be cooperative, not adversarial. This means working alongside our neighbors to serve a world in need without constantly competing for resources, power, or influence. While we should certainly remain committed to the essentials of our faith, there is a difference between being committed and being stubborn, belligerent, or exclusive. As Christians, it is not only possible, but I think advisable to work alongside people of different faiths, as well as people of no faith at all, to make the world a better place. Take, for example, a Christian man named Greg Damhurst, who tells the story of a campus event in which he packaged meals for people in Haiti. The event was planned by an evangelical Christian, a Catholic, a Buddhist, a Hindu, and a humanist. He says that in a single weekend, 5,112 volunteers from every walk of life, faith, and philosophical tradition passed through that site to lend a hand. In less than 12 hours, over 1 million meals were packaged for shipment to Haiti, where they were protected by the 82nd Airborne and distributed by the Salvation Army. This is a great example of what we can do to help others. It's a great example of cooperation. Finally, we serve our Lord as people with God-given nobility. Like the donkey who carried Jesus, we can walk through the world with confidence and grace. Emma and I recently took Evie and Isaac to Wonderworks in Orlando for spring break. And as we were standing in line, I overheard a father say to his son, you are a king. This made me smile. And as I made eye contact with the dad, I said, indeed, I tell my kids that they are royalty because they are children of the king. All human beings are created in the image of God and as such have inherent dignity. When we walk away from God and embrace a life of sin, we mar that image and often degrade ourselves and others. Some of the natural consequences of sin are guilt, shame, and even self-hatred. And these things make it hard to see our inherent worth, to properly value ourselves. But when we turn from our sin and diligently follow Jesus, we recover our self-worth. We recover our dignity. And this allows us to walk with our heads held high. Indeed, the Bible talks about salvation as being raised with Jesus. And the word resurrection, resurrection, literally means to stand up again. Jesus empowers us to stand up again and claim our true identity as a child of the King. It says in 1 Peter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. As God's royal people, we hold our heads up high and refuse to feel like second-class citizens in this world. Importantly, these gifts of self-worth and dignity are not intended to make us superior to others, but are given by God to empower us for service so that we can proclaim the mighty acts of God who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light.
In summary, the donkey proves to be intelligent, cooperative, and noble. And these are the kinds of qualities that help us as Christians carry Jesus to a hurting world by what we think, do, and say. So as strange as it may seem, my challenge to you today is to be more like a donkey. Amen.